When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Low snap, Roar throws it to Mims, touchdown, Denzel Mims, number three. Lawrence out of the gun, looking downfield. Looking deep, looking for Higgins, and that's Harry Potter! He came up with it! He is into the end zone! Touchdown! What a grab by Higgins! 62 yards for the Tigers! Ah, wide receivers. They will be at the top of everyone's mock draft and draft sim over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to the NFL draft. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. We've got uh, some fun guests for you. Catherine Terrell will come up. Uh, She covers New Orleans Saints for ESPN at 2.30. And we're going to talk to a linebacker from Florida, David Reese Jr. I'm sorry, the second. And uh, I'm very interested to find out. He's a guy that's sort of on the bubble of being drafted, how he is making a name for himself when we are dealing with quarantining. So let's start off with wide receivers, Courtney. Uh, I wrote for our website about the plot if you were going to ignore receiver in the first round or even in the second round and kick that down the road. And it does fill a lot of positions right away. It just leaves you walking a pretty serious tightrope with the receiver position. Sure. And I think that a first-round receiver is the route that this team has to go in order to address the concerns that you have now in filling a very big void left by Stephon Diggs. Now, I wrote something this morning uh, just kind of in evaluating where Irv Smith goes from here. And I think it honestly is very possible that the Vikings could already have a big chunk of a replacement in Diggs already on their roster with Irv Smith because, as we know, tight ends were pretty underutilized for the most part in the passing offense last year. And when you think about how important the tight end is when Gary Kubiak is calling the plays and from his offenses over the last 15 years or so as an offensive coordinator or head coach, uh, that typically is the number three receiver. Now, that's obviously part of the equation, but you still have to factor in they need that guy, and it's probably going to come from the draft. And an article today, I know that you referenced yours, uh, what you and I have also talked about with T. Higgins. That's an article that Matt Bowen of ESPN wrote, uh, and just kind of why he would fit in this offense and what he brings to a very heavy play-action system. I feel like we got a lot of pushback. Um, 
and I yesterday did a dra- did a draft sim where uh, I took Higgins in my mock and uh, really did not sit well with a lot of people, and I was kind of surprised by that, to be quite honest with you. I've done one with Denz- had Denzel Mims in several of my mocks before. Uh, that didn't seem to bother people, but I don't know if it was Higgins himself or just the thought of a first-round receiver, which is why I think we kind of need to dive into that and debunk the notion of, you know, where have all the good first-round receivers gone? Because, yeah, it's been a couple years where you haven't seen, like, a big multitude of these first-round receivers, A, chosen, and B, pan out. I don't know if this team, is this fan base is still gun-shy with what's happened with Cordero Patterson and Laquan Treadwell, but mm-hmm. I think it's something we certainly need to address because this is a major hole they have to address early. Well, uh, let me just uh, touch on the first part first with whether it was T. Higgins that people would specifically have a problem with. NFL.com compares him to A.J. Green, so I'm good with that. And if you think that you know which receivers are going to succeed and which aren't, I have yes. a, a news flash for you there. You don't. Because Laquan Treadwell, if you go back and do all the research on him, you will find that a lot of people, a lot of draft analysts, everybody who studies this thing, a lot of teams had him above Michael Thomas. That's not how the cookie has crumbled, but that's football in the draft for you. You draft based on your process, and Laquan Treadwell was a big star in college. He was thought of that the the injury was still kind of hampering him a little bit and that he would get even faster as he went along. And he was the contested catch guy. He put up huge statistics at a very big school. I mean, so there's lots of reason to say this is a guy that will succeed in the NFL. It did not happen because he couldn't separate and didn't know route running as well as he needed to. Maybe you learn from that. But if you go through, there's a lot of receivers over the last few years who there was every reason to think they would succeed or every reason to think that they wouldn't. How about even take DK Metcalf last year? Drops in the second round. Everyone's like, oh, his hips are too stiff or whatever. And they found the the right role for him, and he used his freakish athleticism, and it worked out. So you don't know which are going to work out. We can only talk about the process of whether they should pick one high or whether they should wait. There's no doubt that they need a wide receiver. I do wonder about putting all of your eggs in one basket as opposed to drafting someone, say, in the second and then someone else in the third and giving yourself two shots. And last year is is one of the reasons that I think that, uh, because the top guys were largely last year pretty good. Marquise Brown was good. Uh, Nikhil Harry's not good. But Debo Samuel and A.J. Mm-hmm. Brown were both excellent. But then you get into the second and third round, and Metcalf worked out. Deontay Johnson for the Steelers worked out. Terry McLaurin looks like he could be a straight-up star. So, it, And even Hunter Renfro, who goes in the fifth, becomes at least a, a starting wide receiver. So I look at it, if you're giving me those two options, take someone, one guy at 22, or take one in the second and one in the third, I probably take the latter option in a really deep draft. But that's the thing. How can you be so sure that the guys that you would want that are on your board at the positions that you want it the second or third round are going to be there? By the time you would draft in the second or third round, assuming you're saying either trade back from where you are in the first round to get more picks or use 25, 22 and 25 differently. Like, we've gone through a lot of the mock drafts, and certainly you cannot predict or really truly know how it's going to shake out on draft night where the run is going to start, but yeah. you can kind yeah. of project that. I mean... Rick Spielman talked to us about it last year, projecting the run on guards. Or was that two years ago uh, when they started to see it happen in the first round after they took Mike Hughes? I'm pretty sure it was the first, yes, two years ago. Um, Like, teams are tracking this stuff, and when you're 
in the draft room, wherever it is on draft night, that's something that you have to be cognizant of. And I don't think it would be a reach at that point to get somebody at 25. I mean, I think cornerback should be your number one concern, trying to fill that hole and, and address that with 22, because there's probably going to be a host of picks that you know are high on your board that you would like to have at that position. But also, why not three picks later? Go and address somebody for to try to fill the void or begin to fill the void and, and compete for that number two receiver job along with Tajay Sharp. Um, why not do it there? Because I just I just don't think you can hedge all your bets considering where we've seen the run happen in previous years and also where a lot of draft analysts are projecting the run to happen uh, from this receiver group that you'll be able to get the value for what you want at your second or third round pick. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with a second or third round receiver. And I know uh, in referencing the draft that got people all cranky yesterday was I actually took Denzel Mims. It was Higgins when we had mm-hmm. Austin Gale on the show on Tuesday uh, and he drafted it and that was the one where... Uh, I traded up to get Tristan Wirfs and realized that that was not smart, so I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> um, but yesterday, it's like I got in my draft sim the way that it, it shook out was I got a fourth round pick and I spent it, I had a fourth round pick and I spent it on Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, who is I don't know if it's just like a local bias that we have here and obviously seeing him in Big Ten games throughout the 2019 season, but also seeing where his draft stock has risen. I think you can get good value and get another receiver there. But when it is this big of a glaring need, and when you just can't rely at 25 or 20, 25 or 22 on drafting an offensive tackle and expecting he's going to be right away ready for you in the NFL, I think you're better served to get a receiver there. Yeah, I usually don't think much about how much they can impact right away because it's not how Well, this team's going to have to. Yeah, I know, but this right. team's going to no, have no, to. That is the reality of the situation. They yeah. have put themselves in the situation above any other year they have to hit on their draft picks, yeah. particularly at like three positions right now, because that's just the nature of what happened in free agency. And I and I don't think you can ever realistically expect that. I don't disagree with what you just said. This team has to hope to hit on those draft picks. It's just for me, if I'm draft simming and if I'm the general manager who's not worried about losing his job, so you're just doing it comfortably thinking about the direction of your team, then I'm thinking much more of let's make sure that we get people who can uh, you know, be players for us for a very long time. But I'm running a draft sim right now to just see how this works out, and at the same time poking through some path, past history. If we go back to the 2018 draft, so you have DJ Moore and Kelvin Ridley are the first two wide receivers picked, and they're both okay. Um, Ridley had a bunch of touchdowns two years ago. Moore is kind of the only guy for the Panthers. But we get into the second round and the third round, and there's still guys who have been impact players for teams. And I guess that's where my philosophy comes from is, you know, like someone like Cortland Sutton, who might be a star, DJ Shark for um, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Michael Gallup for the Dallas Cowboys. Those are all good wide receivers in the NFL taken in the second and third round. And me doing my draft sim here, if I take first Javon Kinlaw and Trayvon Diggs as my first two picks, I still end up with with my third and fourth pick, Michael Pittman Jr. and K.J. Hill Mm -hmm. from Ohio State, who is really good at the uh, Senior Bowl. And if you're asking me, do I think that there's a better chance that either Michael Pittman Jr. or K.J. Hill becomes a very good wide receiver or the guy that we take in the first round becomes a great wide receiver – I would say I'm going to take the shot at probably hoping for one of those guys becoming good as opposed to, hey, the late first round 
wide receiver that often goes bust, but could potentially boom as well. You just can't project it, though. Like, that's the thing. I mean, you can't project that they're going to hit on somebody in the fifth round. I just don't buy that logic that, oh, they did it with Stephon Diggs in 2015. They can do it again. They trust their scouting process. Right now, it's more important than ever. Like, yes, that's all very true. But how can you project that? And if you are a team that's in win-now mode, and that's the conundrum here. We don't really know what they are. That's the fact. We do not know what they are, what mode they are truly in. We have not talked to Rick Spielman since free agency. We have not talked to Mike Zimmer to hear from them. What's up with that? Um, I mean, but it's also like, what what are they? Can you can see that they're doing a rebuild? Because if you can, then then jobs are on the line, and then it doesn't really matter at this point what happens in the draft. But you know, if you are in win now mode, jobs everything on the line, things do matter about hitting on these picks. That's reality because you are fighting to keep your job at that point because we have not heard about any extensions, anything that's happened um, in that realm. But it's, you know, I, I just, there, there are a lot of, were we so spoiled with the 2014 draft class with Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., Brandon Cooks, Calvin Benjamin, are we not over that yet? Like, because, yeah, that was unprecedented of how much those guys – as rookies in 2014 were able to produce. We're probably not going to... That was an anomaly. We're not going to see that again. But not every year is going to be like the 2018 draft class of receivers, or even beyond that, you can even go back years before then and pick like just really bad classes. Like I just think when it is such a high priority to assume that you will make the same sort of impact like you could a running back and say that you'd pick a second or third round running back and treat the receiver position the same, I just don't think that's the right logic to take here, especially when it is such a glaring need for this team. So let me go through a few, because history, recent history, does kind of speak well of second and third round wide receivers. So 2016, Sterling Shepard, who's a good player but often injured, Michael Thomas and Tyler Boyd are the second rounders, and all three of them have become good NFL players, much better than the first round that year. And when we go to 2017, you still have Juju Smith-Schuster in the second, Cooper Cup in the second. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no busts because there's busts all over the place. But a lot of times, it's just an area in my mind that there are a lot of very good wide receivers that you could potentially land. And last year, with the fact that someone like Terry McLaurin is a third-round pick mm-hmm. and DK Metcalf in the second, the reason in for me is because there's so many good ones that somebody slips through the cracks every time. I think we all knew last year that Terry McLaurin was a very good prospect, and he just sort of kept sliding down the board because there were a lot of other guys that they were interested in. And I think that this draft has that potential, too. Now, I'm not saying that I would pass up on Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs, but if it's Denzel, one Denzel Mims or Michael Pittman Jr. and K.J. Hill, I'm taking Michael Pittman Jr. and K.J. Hill. I'm having a hard time with this because I'm trying to draft Sim as we talk, and I'm going through this in the scenario <laughs> of Courtney, you are not allowed to pick a receiver in the first round. And that's fine. But at 22, I just got Eter Gross Matos, who uh, is the edge rusher from Penn State. Um, and when I'm sitting here at 25 waiting... I can either go with Xavier McKinney, the safety out of Alabama. Neville Gallimore still available, but I think there would be an uprising if there were two defensive linemen taken and back-to-back picks and a cornerback not addressed. Do I go all the way down? The next corner, the best next cornerback available is AJ Terrell from Clemson. Sure, I would. I don't think I'd be overdrafting there because on this board he's right about where I'd expect. 
But then I'm passing up people who are still on my board, like T. Higgins, like Brandon Iuick, I believe his name is, the guy from Arizona State. Um, Denzel Mims is still there. Like, I just, if this is the way that we're projecting it, and those players are available, particularly Higgins and Mims, who you and I have talked about at length being good fits for this team and this mm-hmm. offense, why would you pass them up? Why would you say, oh, well, we're overdrafting, we could do that in a second or third round and be just fine? Like, There's no reason to be gun-shy because of what happened years ago with Laquan Treadwell and you didn't get Michael Thomas. Okay, big deal. All of the intel on Treadwell was the same. Like, I think we honestly need to move on from that because a lot of the thing, my mentions on Twitter, people bring that up as an example, and it's like, okay, that's it's just not relevant right now. Well, no, of course not. I mean, if, everyone's different. I, for me, it's entirely about an odds play. Like, what, where am I more likely to get a very good receiver uh, and reduce my odds of having this thing go bust? Like you mentioned, you need someone to make an impact right away between two good receiver prospects versus one great receiver prospect. I just think the odds would lean toward two good receiver prospects have a better chance of one of them making an instant impact. And, okay. maybe, and maybe if you're lucky, they both turn out to be really great players and you have two. But more likely than not, if you draft two of them, that one of them is going to be a good player. The other one maybe not as good. Um, but if you're putting all of your uh, eggs in the one basket, if the guy goes bust, you're just sort of... Sure. SOL, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I get, I get it. I get it. And if you have a second or third round guy, if you wait, and, and I just went through this, um, I told you I got uh, Gross Matos from Penn State, and then tw- at 25, I took uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. So my second round pick, the guys that are available at receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Michael Pittman, um, Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky, I think, and K.J. Hamler is still there as well. I think any of those guys would be good fits for you. And, and for the case, what we're making right now, I'll go ahead and take the player from Michigan. Then you're anticipating, and this is maybe the way that they go, that if they if they do do this ladder route and they say, hey, we understand we really like Denzel Mims, we really like uh, T. Higgins, obviously if they had any chance of Judy or C.D. Lamb dropped, definitely want to try to scoop them up, especially Judy because of how good he is as a yeah, route runner. Yeah, that's the exception for sure. Yeah, like that's definitely the exception to the rule. But if you're going this second strategy where you're like, well, we need to address cornerback, we need to address the defensive line, maybe even an offensive tackle, then you're thinking, okay, Irv Smith Jr., and, and they really liked what they saw from him. He had a really good rookie season and is primed for a nice breakout year in 2020. Um, then you're anticipating that he's kind of in that mix and he's going to be taking on a huge part of that target share and filling the void. And then maybe you won't even need to ask ask that much from the number two receiver or at least put as many expectations right. as you would expect um, on a rookie because you could split that up between Tajay Sharp, whomever you draft. In this case, for me, it was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um in the second round, and then maybe even get a Michael. Um, help me here. Why, I just Tyler Johnson. Why do I keep wanting to call him Michael Johnson, like the runner? What is wrong with me? So fast in '96. Um, it's just yeah, weird. Uh, but no, I mean I can understand it from from that if you're looking at it that way. But let's stop acting like first round receivers are a complete bust and a waste of a pick. Especially right. yeah, of course not. You know, I mean. There are the exception to the rule, like what you mentioned, the guys that are probably going to be top 15 picks in, in both C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. I mean, they are the elite of this class, but there are also some really, really talented guys that are going to be on the board there that if the Vikings don't take them at 22 or 25, other teams are going to. 
Yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, the thing about where they're at with 22 and 25 is that someone will drop. We just don't know who. And I would change this entire conversation if it's one of the top receivers. I mean, if Henry Ruggs is there or if Jerry Judy is there, then I, then I would say, oh, well, of course, take them because they're the guy that dropped. Sure. You, you had them as the eighth best player on your board and you end up with them at 22. Then you've got to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at this draft, I got a tweet from Ben who said it's a historic receiver draft, so you want to take one in the first. I look at it the opposite way. If it's a historically deep draft, then you want to take one not in the first. You want to take one later on because the difference between even the best players and your second rounders are not going to be that much different in terms of what the quality of the prospect. And, and that's the way that I'm looking at it. I would still say the odds are decently high that they would take someone like Denzel Mims or T. Higgins. Uh, I want to know, I, I wrote down a bunch of combinations for potential positions here because people will tweet me and say, what do you think of T. Higgins? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Good? I mean, do, do you want to know about his burst off the line of scrimmage or something? Like, I mean... They're all good prospects if they're going to be first-rounders. So to me, it's more about position and then process. Like, if you're the number one pick and you draft Justin Herbert instead of, you know, Joe Burrow, I wouldn't say, well, they're probably both good, like, because your process would be terrible. But anyway, so I have, in terms of the most likely, four of them. Cornerback slash wide receiver, so 22 and 25. Defensive lineman and offensive tackle. Cornerback and offensive tackle. And defensive lineman and wide receiver. Which do we think they could get the most value out of for a the two position like combination mm-hmm. at, at twenty two and, and twenty five? Yeah. Honestly, my gut feeling, at least just from you know, I would still go with cornerback and wide receiver. That's probably my one. And then did you say that I was allowed to go cornerback defensive lineman? Uh well you can if you want. Sure, I'd... why not? That's probably my number two. Okay. I, I just think... don't think with a tackle um, I mean, and I'm also still waiting on to see what happens the next few weeks because it's been so quiet. And if they still are in on Trent Williams at any at any point, yeah, like, well, that's going to come to a head around the time of the draft. So it's quiet right now. But you know, if they get if they draft a tackle there, then that's somebody at least in my mind you're conceding is not going to be ready to play until 2021. But and that's fine if you can get through this year and you can make it to the wild card round at least. Um, you know, and, and certainly now it makes their case a lot better to do that with the expanded playoff format. But I'm just trying to think of people's job security and what happens if this goes belly up and yeah. if if yeah. all in mode turns into a massive reboot, turning into a massive rebuild, then then we're not then we're potentially looking at a change across the board of the coaching staff and front office. So then next year is completely different. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of this through the process of hey, we have to win games now because we might not have jobs yep. in twenty twenty one. So that's why I'm a little hesitant to expect an offensive tackle at that part of the draft is going or even, you know, I don't think it would be a guard at all because we know the guard class is not what it was a year ago. But even still I just don't know that that's what they would do, especially if you already have two tackles in place and your biggest concerns on the interior. Yeah, you have it right in my mind in terms of what their approach will probably be, which is we have to fill these spots. We have to have successful rookies right away who contribute quite a bit or at least are average players with potential in the future. I look at it as from a realistic view that there is that's not a thing like 
drafting to just think you're going to fill spots is not a thing that exists. It's not a thing that you can put your finger on. You can draft those positions if you want, but whether they work out or not, you have no idea. And a lot of times, and this goes for NFL teams complaining that they won't get their pro days or whatever with guys, a lot of times it's just a crapshoot no matter what. I mean, sometimes you can have the best process and think you got the best guy and even get a good prospect, then he gets hurt. I mean, the the... Think about Delvin Cook and Mike Hughes. Like both of those guys looked like they were going to make significant impacts year one, and then they both tear ACLs and then go, you know, even Mike Hughes into the following season. And that's a guy that you thought, okay, well, he looks good in training camp, and maybe he can play nickel corner and beat Mackenzie Alexander, and then he's hurt. And, you know, he gets a pick six in his first game, and it doesn't really matter the rest of the season because he gets injured. So in my mind, if you're taking that approach, you have already gone past go, and you've already gotten to the point where you're in trouble yourself, and you're just hoping that you roll the right number. And if you pick offensive, if you pass up on a good offensive tackle prospect because you desperately think you need a number two wide receiver or you desperately think you need a starting defensive end or a starting corner, that's where, to me, you're getting yourself into a lot of trouble with that because it's not really a, a possibility that you could just fill those spots or, or at least the odds of you doing it, filling those spots in year one, is not very high at 22 and 25. No, I agree. I think that that's a very fair point. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, this was fun. This is a good start to the show. No, there's there's a lot here. We didn't even get to touch on Trayvon Diggs yet, oh, which I, I know, know that we, will. we can say for 3 o'clock. Uh, and I've got hot routes as well. Also, at 3 o'clock, David Reese II, who's a linebacker from Florida, a guy who's fighting for his draft status, essentially, but is presumably quarantined like the rest of us. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about just what his process is of trying to get his name on the radar for NFL teams. That comes up at 3 o'clock. Coming up next, Catherine Terrell, who covers the New Orleans Saints for ESPN. We will talk with her about the Saints offseason, and they're pushing all their chips to the table in the middle of the table with Emmanuel Sanders. So we will discuss when we return on Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.